Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hardison. Tonight, we will be recapping the Browns' 35-30 victory over the Bengals and also going over some injuries to uh, keep out on before we get to the real deal, the Sunday slate. So, hope everyone enjoyed that. You know, actually wildly entertaining Thursday night football game. I know it wasn't the Jaguars-Titans uh, matchup we were promised, but you know what? Uh, Browns-Bengals turned out uh, for the good. So, thank you all for tuning in uh, and let's get after it. So, yeah, Browns 35 Bengals 30. Fun game. Uh, I think it kind of showed mainly Joe Burrow's upside and also just a little bit this Browns team uh, and this new identity uh, can be good running the ball. Now, one question that points out is uh, before we get into these two teams, just how bad is the Chargers offense? Because the fact the Browns were able to just run the ball down the throats of this Bengals defense and the Chargers, who that's their entire team identity right now with Tyrod under Taylor. Tyrod Taylor under center, excuse me. The fact they couldn't do that, a little bit troubling for, uh, you know, the Chargers outlook moving forward. But anyway, on to the game. So I want to start with the Bengals because Joe Burrow, who went 37 for 61. That's right, 61 pass attempts for Joe Burrow. I hope he took the over on his uh, 33 and a half pass attempts there. But 316 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Really looked awesome. I mean, could have easily had four touchdowns uh, just on one of the drives. They had to settle for a field goal. Hit Tyler Boyd in the hands around the goal line. Couldn't bring it in, but he made up for it later. But Anyway, the ball placement was just the big factor here. And we saw this going back to his days at LSU. But, you know, there's some guys that are accurate, and then there's this pinpoint accurate. And Burrow firmly seems to be in the latter category. Uh, you know, first touchdown strike to C.J. Uzoma on uh, a little flag route, which was just, again, put in a very good spot. Second touchdown, he gets uh, Mike Thomas. You know, Mike Thomas now one touchdown. Dear Michael Thomas, zero for those counting at home. A uh, short one to him from four yards out on a slant. And then finally, uh, in a little garbage time drive at the end, hit Tyler Boyd in the back of the end zone. Beautiful toe tap from Tyler Boyd. So even though he dropped the one before, made up for it. And so, yeah, just the ball placement in general. I mean, you know, it didn't didn't hook up with A.J. Green well at all. I mean, to see Green catch only three of 13 targets was disappointing. But, you know, mostly I think it was kind of on Green. I mean, there were more than a couple occasions where it was pretty tight coverage. But Burrow put it in a spot where Green had a chance to make the catch. Wasn't quite able to do it. Didn't look bad per se. I mean, you know, I, I do just say that. But on the first play of the game, uh, Green kind of got some separation. Burrow put it just a little too far towards the sideline. Green made an awesome diving catch, but just landed out of bounds. So, you know, 13 targets, easily team high. I think we got to go back to the A.J. Green bank uh, as a wide receiver, too. He did look a little banged up. I mean, I, I'll admit he doesn't look like he's, you know, 2015, 2016 A.J. Green. I heard anything like that, but 13 targets are 13 targets. You know, Denzel Ward had himself a good game, you know, sneaky. I, I know there were some banged up corners, but Ward did do a good job when he was on Green. You know, I think Green's still going to have some better days ahead. I'm not going to give up on him after this performance just yet. Um, after A.J. Green, Drew Sample, number two in targets. Uh, in these in these kind of like comeback mode drives, uh, Burrow's just feeding the tight end. I mean, to see Sample get nine targets in Uzoma, six uh, Uzoma was carted off the field. We're going to uh, keep an eye on that injury. Uh, it was alarming. I mean, 15 targets for Bengals tight ends isn't something we're exactly useful. Um, as Troy Aikman pointed out on the broadcast, 50% of Burroughs' college completions went either to the slot or to the tight end position. Obviously, having Justin Jefferson uh, in the slot could you know, force you to do that. But, you know, if Sample is going to keep getting 9, 10-plus targets per week, we're going to have to pay attention to him. And so kudos to him for catching seven of them for 45 yards. Uzoma had a good game. Hopefully he's not uh, too injured. But, yeah, it seems like Burrow might just be a fantasy-friendly tight end whisperer. Um, elsewhere, Tyler Boyd, like seven catches, 72 yards, and a score on eight targets. 
you know, it's unfortunate he had that drop because he had a great game. Otherwise, uh, he's been a guy I haven't been super high on over the years. Maybe it's just a, you know, internal bias against slot receivers or something like that. But he continuously comes up uh, year after year. And I think he's going to be, you know, a borderline wide receiver two to upside wide receiver three uh, more times than not. Uh, mentioned the Mike Thomas touchdown. T. Higgins came on, actually outplayed John Ross. So if you look at the week one snaps, it was really John Ross playing the most and then A.J. Green and uh, I'm sorry, then Tyler. Boyd and then AJ Green who they were easing in this week Tyler Boyd played the most AJ Green was right, right there but then T Higgins actually played the most over John Ross so I don't think too many people are starting John Ross anyway in season long but it's, it's a good point for you know showdown slates like tonight uh, that you know beyond Green and Boyd um, not too much is certain in this Bengals passing game at the moment uh, looking at the backfield Joe Mixon had himself a great game was making a ton of guys miss all night really got a lot of work as a receiver in the first First half. Uh, I would I would check out uh, Dwayne McFarland. He was on the podcast this week doing our game by game breakdown. Real sharp guy. Works at PFF and does uh, some established run stuff too. But anyway, he comes after the utilization report every week. Does a really good job pointing out when guys are getting their targets. And uh, you know, I think that's really going to probably point out what we saw tonight because Mixon, you know, early he got some targets and it was going well. I mean, four catches for 40 yards on just four targets and seemed like he got all four of them in the first half within, you know, a span of a drive or two. But in the second half, we really saw Giovanni Bernard just playing all sorts of snaps while they were in comeback mode and, you know, an obvious pass first situation. Gio even had a four yard touchdown run reverse, which again, you know, brings up to a point I've made on here before where goal line backs, you know, don't always exist. It's kind of like who's on the field at that time. You know, once they got off the field, Mixon uh, would be in there to, you know, be the guy you want at the one yard line or whatever. But, uh, you know, if it is a situation where Geo's out there and they're in hurry up mode and they get inside the five yard line, they're not going to stop everything just to get Mixon a goal line carry. So Mixon was the lead guy. I mean, in the end, he played 44 snaps, but see Geo right there at 36 behind him. You know, every week when I do my backfield report, one of the main time I, I list all the backs that have at least 70% uh, percent of the offensive snaps that week. And Mixon's usually missing from that. You know, it's one of the ones that people always bring up and kind of ask why. And I don't have a good answer because he's perfectly capable of it. Again, top five potential uh, in fantasy if he could actually get, you know, four to six targets per week. Unfortunately, don't really see that happening unless Burrow's going to be throwing the ball 60 plus times every week. But Burrow, you know, I've been treating him as a borderline QB1 throughout this process. And one of the reasons was because the Bengals last year were one of just 11 teams, I believe, to throw the ball at least 600 times all season. We saw him saw some of his athleticism. It's going to be a fantasy-friendly offense, uh, you know, for a pretty bad Bengals team. And Burrow definitely seems good enough you know he's kind of uh we saw with Deshaun Watson in week one and over the years where you know really really good quarterbacks are able to still come back uh against the prevent defense put up big uh kind of fancy points week after week regardless of the game script so Burrow certainly seems to be in that category I would say you know Burrow Green Boyd and Mixon should be starting in uh, fantasy lineups more times than not. You know, okay, if you're in a top 12 or just a 12 uh, team league and one quarterback, maybe Burrow isn't starting uh, in every, every one of those, but you know, he's going to be flirting with that QB1 borderline a lot. So, uh, Good things will be on the horizon for the Bengals. Now, moving on to the winners, the Cleveland Browns. Uh, credit to Baker Mayfield. You know, made some great throws out there. Have one bad interception where we didn't see a safety coming back over the field. But um, it was a 43-yard touchdown strike to OBJ where, you know, uh, got out to the pocket a little bit, set his feet, threw a strike. And that kind of seemed to be a theme. First two plays of the game, they were play-action rollouts where, you know, Baker got a chance, set his feet, 
throw a strike and he and he looked good doing it. That's always kind of been a thing with him. Play action and uh, the ability to throw on the run. It's great when it happens, but it's the problem with expecting too much fantasy production out of Baker this year is just the reality. This is a run first offense. I mean, Nick Chubb, 22 carries, Kareem Hunt, 10. I understand they had the positive game script, but I mean, we, we can see it out there. This Browns offensive line looked great, even without Jack Conklin. They were able to move the ball on the ground. You know, Stefanski coming from the Kubiak system in Minnesota. I think it's pretty clear that Baker Mayfield is kind of in that Kirk Cousins camp where, you know, he's going to have a lot of weeks where we're just going to need him to be efficient as all hell. Otherwise, we're not going to get the sort of fancy uh, production we want. I mean, 23 attempts, you know, credit to him for completing 16, 219 yards and uh, the two scores. But it, it's just going to, we're going to need more. We're going to need more upside to really. Uh, start to get get back to treating Baker um, as a as a great fantasy QB, and you know this was a cake matchup for him to try to get back there. Uh, maybe shouldn't say cake. The Bengals did look good against the Chargers. Maybe the Browns deserve a little more credit than I'm giving them right now. But either way, I, I'm not you know budging on Baker Mayfield more or less being an unstartable fantasy quarterback this season, despite this solid performance. Um, with the running game, Nick Chubb looked fantastic, dragging defenders all night. 22 carries, 124 yards, pair of scores. It was uh, funny. Well, funny for me, but for all the Nick Chubb uh, fantasy investors out there, probably not quite as much. But uh, he got stuffed three times from the goal line after he got uh, into the end zone. Then they replayed it, and he was down just short. Luckily for him, Burrow did fumble inside his own five-yard line. Browns recovered, and Chubb punched it in after that. So he ended up getting that touchdown, and uh, you know, credit to him. They uh, got him a short uh, catch early, but you know, still only one target for nine yards. Kareem Hunt was out there, had two targets, two catches, one of which went for a touchdown he was the one that was out there in obvious pass first situations you know they continue to rotate and it's working I mean for Hunt to put together 86 yards and a score on the ground himself it just shows you how good of a pair of running backs the Browns are, are employing right now but you know the snap disparity Chubb to have 36 and Hunt to have 20 I just don't understand why Hunt needs to be on the sideline, you know, while we have so many two tight end sets with Harrison Bryant and, you know, Kadero Hodge out snapping Kareem Hunt by 13 snaps. You know, we're still giving away five snaps to Rashard Higgins, three snaps to JoJo Natson. I mean, Kareem Hunt was playing over 30% of his snaps in the slot or out wide down the stretch last season. It's disappointing to see the Browns really go back to, you know, rarely featuring them on the field as much. I mean, this was literally one or the other was on the field almost all game. So it's unfortunate. I'm going to do some uh, studies this week looking at kind of the Browns offensive EPA when both of them are on the field versus just one. So, you know, maybe there is something I'm missing and they weren't uh, all that efficient when both guys were playing. But it does seem like one of these situations where Hunt has that, you know, super receiving friendly skill set to warrant the extra work to get them both on the field at the same time. Uh, moving on to the passing game, OBJ just absolutely filthy uh, 43-yard score. Had a double move where he just left William Jackson in the dust. He looked great running routes really all game. Made some nice uh, moves after the catch where, you know, he's always just been a killer over the years. So, awesome game from OBJ. It's still a little bit of a concern about the high-end target share. Again, it's just, you know, it's Diggs, I'm sorry, uh, Beckham and Landry this year. If you think of them like 2019, Thielen and... uh, Digs, I think it helps. And, you know, if Baker can be what Kirk Cousins was last year, these wide receivers could be fine. They can efficiently pick up, you know, big gains like they did, like Beckham was able to do tonight. But you look at the target totals, OBJ only had six targets, Landry only had three. And it's just a problem if we're going to consistently rank uh, both these guys among the top 24 wide receivers. So seems like a situation where, I mean, Jarvis Landry only three targets. Uh, he caught all three of them, uh, fair play to him. But you, you do wonder, is he going to consistently have this uh, high-end target 
share. So uh, he, he was playing almost every single snap that Beckham was. I mean, Beckham 39 snaps uh, and Landry right there at 35. So he was out there. But I just wonder if this kind of new look Browns offense can consistently enable uh, like you know, Beckham and Landry last year both had over 130 targets. I don't think that's going to happen again in 2020. Um, Austin Hooper, another not great game for, uh, you know, the fantasy faithful out there. Two catches for 22 yards on four targets. Should have had a short touchdown. Baker kind of sailed it out the back of the end zone. So could have been a little bit better. But still, you know, we got Bryant uh, siphoning off a target. Um, Steven Carlson was out there playing four snaps. You know, we'll see if uh, David Njoku reemerges in, in the future. But yeah, Austin Hooper. I don't. You know, I was. I think I ranked him as the tight end seventeen going into the season. He got a lot of money. He did really good things last year. But you know, some of so much of his production last year was with the Falcons trailing. And you know, okay, could he do it in Cleveland? Absolutely. But you look at that Falcons team, and he was their underneath guy. And with the Browns, the underneath guy could very well be Kareem Hunt. Could very well be Jarvis. Landry. It's a different offense. I think we're seeing that already with him not getting the high-end targets. And he made several awesome blocks. I mean, he's a great real-life player, but just expecting him to kind of do the things that he was doing, which was in a, you know, a bad bad Atlanta team with their offense just playing hurry-up mode all the time. I don't think it's fair to uh, expect that success to replicate in Cleveland. So, fun Thursday night game. Happy to see, uh, you know, the NFC North, or I'm sorry, AFC North have Hopefully, for uh, entertaining quarterbacks here moving forward. So I want to go on to some injuries now to be look on the lookout for. Heading into Sunday, uh, Julio Jones was limited with a hamstring injury on Wednesday and Thursday. I'm expecting him to play through this. You know, if he's tag questionable, okay, we'll monitor it more. But he has been a guy that's always kind of been uh, nicked up throughout the week before inevitably suiting up Sunday. Uh, right now, Julio number one, Calvin Ridley number two in air yards. Expect a shootout, Cowboys versus Falcons. Uh, John Brown uh, was uh, DMP on Wednesday with a foot injury, but then he practiced in full on Thursday, so it sounds like he's fine. Make sure he's still at a full on Friday, but I mean, assuming he's good to go, okay, great, because we got a uh, Brown and Diggs are apparently a little bit more of a 1A, 1B situation. With Diggs, I think he's still the 1A, but uh, might have overestimated how big that disparity is between them. Not the easiest matchup against Miami, but worth noting both uh, Byron Jones and Zayvon Howard on the injury report as well. I don't think they're going to miss the game, but you know certainly a matchup the Bills and particularly Josh Allen still capable of winning. Amari Cooper popped up Thursday with limited practice with a foot injury. Kind of like Julio. I mean, Amari's a guy that's usually on the injury report and ends up playing through it, so wouldn't worry too much about it unless there's an injury designation. Uh, a little more concerning is Tyron Smith, the Cowboys left tackle, uh, was did not practice Thursday with a neck injury. I mean, Leo Collins is already out. Their backup OT, Cam Irving, is already hurt. We've seen examples in the past where Dak, you know, just kind of crumbles when they can't give him any sort of time because what quarterback wouldn't uh, to some extent. So, you know, still tr transitioning from Travis Frederick. I know Zeke is in an absolute smash spot this week, and it's just so chalky. But, man, if Tyron's out too – uh, could be a could be a tough situation for that Cowboys offense if they're down. I mean, they've always been riding that amazing offensive line. If you're taking away two of your top three players now, it's troubling. Uh, Cortland Sutton has been limited with a shoulder injury. Uh, Schefter was saying he was really close last Sunday. You would hope he could be out there. Still not a situation. I'm probably looking to invest too heavily in him, though, against that Steelers defense and with the potential for limited snaps. 
Philip Lindsay back to back DMPs to start the week. Sounds like he could be at risk of risking multiple games. Uh, talk about some of the podcasts over the week, but I really just think Royce Freeman is going to replace that, uh, his spot in the offense, get that close to 40% role. I, I wouldn't count that as a huge bump up for Melvin Gordon. I think his role stays just about the same. Uh, Lions secondary. Each, Desmond Trufant has been practicing with a hamstring injury. Jeff Okuda, you know, their high end first round pick also has a hamstring injury. He's been practicing in full. So it sounds like he'll be out there, but there's slot corners on IR with the hamstring injury. So, you know, a lot of questions this week. Can the Packers continue to replicate that high-end success we saw last week? And over the whole season, okay, maybe we need to rein in the expectations a little bit, but at least this week against three banged-up cornerbacks, yeah, okay, let's fire up all those guys. I have, uh, you know, Devontae, obviously, wide receiver one. And then Lazard and uh, MVS, I think, you know, deserve to be kind of in that borderline wide receiver three, upside wide receiver four conversation in the smash spot. Brandon Cooks was limited in both practices with a quad injury. You know, he was on a snap count last week and uh, really didn't seem to want to play him. So I would probably still wait another week before we start trusting him. You know, if we want to take some DFS start shots, that's fine. But either way, I think Will Fuller is locked in as number one in this offense. Uh, Duke Johnson also been limited with an ankle injury. Either way, I think David Johnson is just going to continue to have this massive role, 81% snap count last week. And even before the Duke injury, he was dominating touches. Uh, Jack Doyle, back-to-back, do not practice. Did not practice to start the week with an ankle and knee injuries. Maybe Mo Alley Cox season, everyone. Uh, probably not really a season-long option, but only 3,000 on DraftKings. You know, one of these ex-basketball player guys that everyone should be able to get excited about after about three minutes of Google research. Uh, also on the Colts, Michael Pittman, Toe, and Zach Pascal ankle have been banged up. I think this just reinforces that Paris Campbell uh, is the number two in this pass game. I just worry a little bit about can they enable two guys consistently? Because as much as Rivers was throwing the ball around in week one, I mean, it just doesn't make sense with that offensive line. I wonder if he's going to get back to be a little bit more of a game manager moving forward. Um, Chargers running back Justin Jackson has out with a quad injury, it seems like. So Joshua Kelly, uh, solidified as an early down guy. Just note, though, it's not the Melvin Gordon role. The Melvin Gordon role was legit being the 60% snap guy, and Eckler was the one fighting to clear 50%. Eckler was still at 69% last week. I mean, I think Kelly's going to pretty much get the 10 to 12 carries that he had last week and that we saw Justin Jackson get there in the first four games of last season. So it's a productive role, but calm on, you know, anointing Kelly as a fantasy option, particularly in this week against the Chiefs when we're likely to see a bunch of negative game script. Henry Ruggs uh, did not practice start the week, which is troubling, you know, trying to get him into your lineups because if he's questionable going to Monday night, probably going to have to look elsewhere. Number one in the league right now in air yard uh, market share. Gruden really dialed up some deep shots in the first 15 plays of that game before uh, Derek Carr inevitably started dinking and dunking afterwards. Uh, Devontae Parker with a hamstring injury, back-to-back limited practices. Sounds like he has a real chance to play, though. Uh, Preston Williams with a knee injury is fine. He's been full all week. Uh, you know, the only thing with Parker, though, is he's got that Tredavious White shadow either way. Parker won this matchup last year. He beat Stephon Gilmore last year, too. We're also still talking about, you know, two of the probably three to five best cornerbacks in the entire league. So when you're banged up, that's not the matchup you want. Michael Thomas could be out for a little bit with an ankle uh, sprain. You know, Manny Sanders I have as a top 30 receiver, but Jared Cook's the guy I'm really excited about, and I'll be targeting a little bit more in DFS. I mean, I think he needs – I'm actually moved him above Evan Ingram as my tight end five uh, for this week because I really think that, you know, they're going to feature him more than ever in the red zone. They already use him half the time in the slot or not wide. 
Do not be afraid to ride high on Jared Cook this week. Uh, Golden Tate's been limited with a hamstring injury, back-to-back practices. Sounds like he has a chance to play. I really like Sterling Shepard in this spot because I think uh, as good as Slayton was in week one, I don't think that's solidified necessarily his uh, you know, number one spot in the pecking order. Bunch of hype from Shepard uh, in the training in training camp reports. So, you know, the problem is if Tate comes back, that's going to bounce Shepard out of the slot. And last year, you're looking at, you know, yards per out run, the slot versus out wide. Shepard was the sixth most sensitive receiver in terms of being much better in the slot. So already not the best matchup against Chicago. I'll be much higher on Shepard if Tate does end up being out. Uh, Jameson Crowder is looking like a major risk to miss the game. Limited on Wednesday, downgraded to a DMP on Thursday. Chris Herndon season, everyone. Here we go. Let's get it. Uh, Brashad Perryman also could be a value. Played 100% of the snaps last week, and he's got a nice little cheap DFS price across the industry. Miles Sanders, the hamstring injury, practicing in full. Looks like he's going to be out there. And so with that, you know, Boston Scott's not going to have a startable role. But I would caution expectations with Sanders. Like DFS, chill probably because as much as I did think he was going to get that, you know, 70, 80% snap potentially, uh, snaps with the start of the season, with this injury, wouldn't be shocked at all to see Peterson lean much more on the committee until Sanders is truly 100%. So interesting stuff going on with the Steelers. Each of Deontay Johnson with a toe injury, James Conner with an ankle, and Juju Smith-Schuster with a knee did not practice on Wednesday, and then they were a full practice on Thursday. We've kind of seen this stuff happen with Pittsburgh in the past. I do wonder uh, if we're going to see Connor in particular, you know, creep back down to a limited or a DMP on Friday. Like they might, it might have just been like a pure walkthrough uh, today, so all the injured guys could be full. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just guessing too much, but you know, as someone that's spent far too much time analyzing uh, daily practice participation over the past four seasons, like the, I, I just remember examples over the years of the Steelers, you know, sometimes you see these DMPs to full and the guy doesn't end up playing as much as you would see across the league. So I think Deontay and Juju are absolutely fine, but James Conner, I'm still just worried about the chance for limited snaps. And even if he is full go, it sounds like Benny Snell could have a chance to make this more of a two-back committee despite, you know, all the feature back talk from before. So Hopefully, you know, for all the James Conner investors out there, he plays and he's healthy and he does his thing. But, you know, it is a little bit concerning. I think if he is without an injury designation going to Sunday, I'll be treating him as, you know, probably a top 24 back. I would I would say uh, he'll be in there, but it's definitely not the same sort of uh, top 12 ranking he had before. Uh, George Kittle out with a knee. DMP and it's going to be a game time decision. You got to have a backup plan for him. Uh, you know, I would say if there's just a lot of, you know, normally good tight ends taken in your league, Jordan Akins is a great guy to get if you need a deeper flyer. Houston Texans, tight end one, no longer really splitting it up with Darren Fells. Just a couple more. Uh, Chris Goblin with a concussion. concussion seems like he's going to miss the game still in the protocol uh, through Thursday. Scotty Miller season, everyone. Uh, the TB12 deep ball did look great in week one. Um, we'll see if Tyler Johnson uh, is activated this week and takes a slot role. I'm, I'd be a little nervous about trusting Justin Watson. I know he did play some snaps last week, but I do think it's going to be Evans, Scotty, and those tight ends. I am not afraid of using Scotty at all. I actually have a article coming out, a little spoiler, with my uh, helicopter targets, and Scotty Miller did make my final five. I am high on this dude this week. All right, last one, A.J. Brown. Oh, this, this sucks, everyone. 
Uh, AJ Brown with a knee, knee bruise, run from limited to DMP. Schefter saying could be a week to week injury. He's not ruled out for this week. You know, we'll see what the designation is, but certainly doesn't look good. And I will say after watching that game, you know, I did have it in the back of my mind that he didn't look quite as explosive. So not super surprising, to be honest. Uh, Corey Davis started the week with a did not practice and then got up to a limited on Thursday. You know, I've said this a couple times this week, but this reminds me a little bit of the Brashad Perryman situation last year uh, with the Buccaneers where Goblin and Evans were out and we knew Perryman was going to be a number one. And the only reason some of us, me particularly, didn't want to start him was because it was Brashad Perryman. And I think now people are kind of rolling their eyes. It's Corey Davis. But look, the guy is in line for seemingly eight plus targets per game. He's shown the ability to put up 100 yard games in the past. You know, he's a talented guy, past number five overall pick. You look at the athletic profiles, borderline erotic, and he is the same price. I mean, I'm excuse me, exact same height, exact same weight, 6'3", 217 as Devontae Parker. At least we're at the combine. Maybe he is this year's version of Devontae Parker. So if you're not done throwing up in your mouth yet, please allow me to thank you for listening to this episode of the Pro Football Focus Fantasy Football Podcast. Uh, always fun talking to you all. Uh, you know, feel free to reach out on the old Twitter sphere. I'm at I heart it. If you have any, you know, special start sick questions over the weekend, happy to try to answer as many as possible. Um, Sirius XM, check me out five to seven this Saturday. And then also uh, Andrew Erickson, PFF zone host seven to nine on Sundays. So uh, fun times will be had. So thank you all for tuning in. I'm Ian Harditz and have a good night, everyone.